Hey listeners, Lex on the Decks here. Before you get stuck into this episode of Hot Girls, I wanted to let you know about something else you may be interested in. Though Hot Girls in its podcast format isn't releasing new episodes any longer, if you head over to my Substack, which is lexonthedecks.substack.com, you'll find more interviews and insight on gender minority artists and how to overcome any barriers to entry. You'll also get the opportunity to sign up to my weekly newsletter, Five Good Things. This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays, sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This week, I'm joined by Shingy. Shingy rose to prominence as the lead singer and bassist for the Noisettes, and after a really incredible journey in that band, is now releasing music as a solo artist under her own label. She is the most magical spirit and an entertainer in every sense of the word. Through this conversation, we cover so many of the things which have influenced and shaped her career, from not being allowed to take music studies, being misunderstood as a black, non-classically trained musician, and also we talk about the importance of hearing different voices and the struggles in getting those heard. We also touch on the emotional challenges of being in a band and having not just a personal responsibility, but also that to your bandmates. Shingi is hilarious as well as insightful. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do give it a like or subscribe, or even better, tell a friend. Without further ado, Shingi on the Hot Girls podcast. Let's go. Ladies, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. A lot of people are being impacted in a, mm. by this in a lot of ways. And, you know, myself included, I've had some really dark moments here where I've seen my seen some shadows of myself that I didn't even realise. You know, some things have come up from childhood and, like, trauma or other people's stuff. But what I am loving is just, yeah, just stuff like this. Me being on a, on a, on, on a podcast like this, so, so many people, you know, kind of podcasting, speaking out, like... And that's what I'm excited about. It's so interesting as well, like what you're saying about just those shifts in conversation, because the process and also one of the things that we try and do and or that we really enjoy doing on this podcast is like having people who've had quite different career journeys and bringing those conversations together rather than it being a space 
where, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of spaces, they focus very much on either people who are at the start of their career or people who are really, have been in their career for 15 years. Yeah, it's almost like people on the extremes. And it's very dangerous to just hear from, as you said, certain people in society who are at certain stages, because when you cut out people who have like hit a stride and can actually share knowledge and information, Mm. maybe that's, you know, that, that shouldn't, that should be embraced. Like people like yourself who have a really wide knowledge of like music and art and counterculture and this should be huge, you know what I mean? But what seems to be huge is like people just want to hear about, I don't know, someone who's like 18 or 19 who's just, do you know what I mean? Like trying to please and trying to be sexy and just, he loves me, he loves me not. It's special times, you know, very special times, but there's a lot of great stuff happening. It's a great time to be an artist. It's an amazing time to be having the opportunity to, yeah, re- reevaluate what, what makes you authentic. Like, what is your voice? Like, who are you, who are you emulating? Like, who are you trying to be like? Or what are your, what are your creative goals? Can I wind back right to the start of your musical journey? I was wondering, because did you go to Brit school? Yes! Oh, you can tell, but I was in the drama department, so I don't, I I hardly know, I don't know that many musicians that go to Brit, and I'm still to this day so pleasantly surprised by, like, how people go, oh, do you know that so-and-so went Brit school? Oh, babe, do you know this one went Brit school? And I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. People in the drama department, anyone will tell you went to Brit school. We're, like, probably, like, the weirdos that people tend to (laughs) Like Like in Mean Girls, the art freaks. That's you. Exactly. Basically, that, that's what we are. We're like on the on the lawn doing our Stanislavski, doing a bit of Chekhov, trying, <laughs> you know, trying to get into, trying to get into character. Whereas yeah. the music people are all like you know with their rollies and stuff like that. So yeah. How did you get there in the first? I mean, I remember when I was younger hearing the, like a room because I was a theatre kid, and I remember hearing oh, school as a thing, and being like, wow. Oh my god! But I was so I grew up in the countryside, like so far away from London, so it was. And was it was that an ex- amazing experience? It must have been fun. It was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, so I went from going to like, I went to quite like formal schools before, and I went to, uh, I went, yeah, I went to a convent for for a minute. You know, I went to like an ex grammar school for a minute. Yeah, I went to like quite formal, quite stiff schools uh-huh. before that you know where the uniform policy uh yes you have to be able to yeah get the tech but also like the second school that my secondary school before the brit school the policy was for the presentation policy because it was like you know very sort of grammar school kind of rules was that you were only allowed to wear a scrunchie that was red or black or navy blue because um those were part of the colors in our uniform and your hair had to be able to tie back in a scrunchie and i just remember like my mum and my auntie's just laughing going have you ever seen a southern african girl try to put that you know that beautiful fushka rough hair in the hairband like <laughs> we've come a long way yeah we've come a long way now but um but yeah so go, so i had re- really sort of strict uniform strict rules very classical which was fine by me because i was like mad history buff mad into english and you know creative stuff but then when i said i was interested in like the arts like really seriously like music and um and drama specifically theatre they were very 
discouraging of that. Yeah, I kind of got a bit of a sense that it felt to them that, you know, culturally, theatre was for a certain kind of, you know, middle-class girl that plays the piano and looks a certain way and has actually playing an instrument since she was four or five, so she needs to be... Basically, even if you wanted to do music GCSE, and when people opt for GCSEs, you'll usually start thinking about that at 13, 14. Like, you already had to be grade five. And if you wanted to do certain subjects, you'd have to be grade grade eight. And I'm like, that would mean that, yeah, you would have to be playing an instrument since you were five, six or seven. And obviously that wasn't something that um, I, that was available to me formally because we couldn't afford it. However, I had the most amazing amount of creative and musical talent Mm. but they just couldn't see me as culturally sound to be able to study that that strand as a GCSE so I actually ended up yeah I actually ended up going to to Brit school and kind of in protest I actually when my mum my mum went um to bury my granddad um who passed away yeah when I was a teenager and so she she had to go back to Zimbabwe to bury him and when she was away I basically just went into right I know exactly what I want to do with my life like I my job is to uplift the universe like I already knew my assignment before I got here that's what I believe anyway um and so um I was like I need to get ready for my assignment and you know like a lot of I think there's a there's there's a lot of pressure especially for like you know migrant children who are you know um who have got you know African parents or very formal Caribbean parents or very formal Asian parents mm. that you know you've got to be like you know a, a lawyer a doctor was it the genie I share so she's like there's four career options lawyer doctor engineer failure <laughs> <laughs> like right (laughs) and you're like what about number five (laughs) how about you know black unicorn (laughs) is that a career option (laughs) mum how about Bantu like ancient futuristic South London sonic rebel from the future can I do that as a job (laughs) yeah can I you know no yeah so so yeah so (laughs) so um yeah I was too scared to basically really come out to my parents that like Mm. when my mum went away we um were uh, looked after you know by like um our aunts so my siblings and I would stay at our aunts for most of I think it was spring into summer holidays so it was spring maybe when you're like I can't actually remember what it was but all I know is that I stayed at my auntie's house and she's absolutely absolutely amazing amazing woman did a lot of stuff um high up in, in in education and really really helped you know a lot of the community in South London in the way the education system was failing went did the interview really loved the place fell in love with it smashed the interview I can't even remember I think I I can't even remember what I performed then I just basically yeah like got her to ask her persuaded her to um charmed her into signing all the (laughs) forms did all the housework did all my chores every plate was just an angel (laughs) was just an angel and then you literally when my mum got back from Zim I was like hey mum so um yeah my mum found out that I'd taken myself out of the school that she'd worked so hard to like get us into you know and like somehow managed to get myself into Brit school and just you know it just had to be a bit kind of I couldn't mess it up because um I'd already kind of told my other school kind of diplomatically where to take there but I just (laughs) the fact that you had that self-belief then is just so brilliant I remember being told I mean different experiences and different I guess I I probably didn't have like such so many many cultural things against me but I do remember um I remember my music teacher telling my parents that I had I just didn't have 
them or something. And, and I kind of accepted some, some of those things, I think, and it took me quite a long time to not accept some of the things. But now I look at it and I'm like, you were wrong. I mean, you were just yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's amazing how just like even a comment like that for, you know, yeah. a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old who should just feel like, Everything is possible. Everything yeah. is an available pathway. And when you when you talked about self-belief, you know, that's why we need to see more versions of people mm-hmm. because then all of these stories start to add up and then we realise that they, they a lot of them are a lot more shared than we thought, but they just present in a different way, right? Yes. You know, and 100%. all of these microaggressions add up and a lot of these microaggressions you know, they do stem from often just a slightly misaligned, slightly darker route, which is just that, like, you know, people in education aren't given enough access to seeing testimony, seeing the talents of what different kids that look like, you know, can achieve. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I really appreciate what you said about the belief. But, and again, I think I even knew that, like, because... I just learned the music in a different way. So when you talk about rhythm, my mum my used to put on um, loads of events and, you know, club nights with, you know, with, um, with, uh, with my uncles. One of my uncles uh, is Uncle Walla, and he used to put on these amazing music nights at this place called the Africa Centre, um, which uh, the original one was in Covent Garden. So, like, basically, like, in the 90s, like, all of the some of the most amazing bands, African musicians would go through there, you know, like from, I think everyone from Felicuti to Hugh Masakela to Manu Dibango to, you know, all the greats have have played there, right? And so there's a lot of musicians in my mum's family. So my mum's brother, um, Uncle Oswald, rest in power. He was an incredible drummer. And, you know, sadly he passed away when I was a teenager as well. But whenever we used to go to Zimbabwe on holiday, he would always ask that I bring his favourite drumsticks um, from the local music shop down in Lewisham called Len Styles Music Shop. So I used to love going there as a kid. And that was like, that was my job. It was like, make sure we bring Uncle Oswald a pair of drumsticks drumsticks back there was another uncle called um uncle Alvis who played with people like Hugh Masakela and you know Claude Depper and he still plays a saxophone so he might want some bits and you know when people did come and do performances somewhere big they would always do like their best the, the, the performance at the Africa Centre was always the one that had the most like African descendants who had just moved you know who were making new lives right in London or in, in England in fact people came from all over England to go to the Africa the center it was such a staple yeah. like I mean once you know I mean the story of that is probably like you know for other days but I I definitely highly recommend people you know um, looking into the story of some of the authors some of the revolutionary activists and thinkers you know what white brown across creeds who used to meet there and literally like form the conversations which would then become the basis for revolutionary actions of those times you know and it was just one of these places you know where so many creative people came together and so many allies of those people were were with them and they were just you know art was just so much more reflective I believe and art was arguably had to be a lot braver because you didn't have the ease of social media to come through like you had to be original OG like you had to have 
an authentic tone, you know, in the like late 80s, early 90s. And and um, I remember they used to kind of, it was almost like the little, the little Zim embassy or the little Southern African embassy in South mm-hmm. London. So they might get taken out for a posh meal with their tour manager after. Like, for example, there's, a, there's an incredible band called the Bunda Boys, who sadly again will rest in power. They're no longer with us. Um, but they were huge in, you know, I think late 80s, early, mid, mid 90s, maybe. You know, they were championed by like proper OG DJs like John Peel. And that's why actually I feel like I had to almost be independent. That's so interesting. And I think imagine growing up around those kind of artists must have had a huge influence on what you then wanted to do as a songwriter and as a singer and the kind of music you wanted to release. I can't be the child of like revolutionaries and just be like coming with some ABC. Like I just can't, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, and yeah. so what I had to do was with the noisettes, I was so clever at making some of the most painful subjects sound like ABC. Do you know what I mean? Like that yes. is the craft of songwriting, of pop songwriting that yes. I embraced and loved because I knew that if I wanted to recognise and appreciated and loved and respected as a musician and as an international artist, also as a young black female, I needed to make big songs. I needed to make big tunes. Like Never Forget You is probably one of the happiest songs, you know, Don't Upset the Rhythm. But like one day, Lex, we'll do the decode and you'll see that there's some moments in some of those noisette songs where I'm singing about something else. You feel me, girl? Mm -hmm. You know, so I had to be really good at metaphor, wordplay. My poetry was only sharpened by the oppressive experiences that I had because again like I said we've got to learn sometimes you know I had to learn how to upcycle you know upcycle all the all all the negative stuff that happened turn that s-h-i-t into sugar so then I realized around 2016-17 when I was like literally reaching out to all of the independent labels I don't even need to say their name because you know again you know everybody knows each other whatever yeah. and those that, those that passed you know they know who they are and actually I thank them mm. that's the best thing that my ancestors could have done was just to say do you know what we're going to give you we're going to give you a ton of rejection emails after everything that you've achieved as a black girl what with your natural hair with your mm. with your kind of you know inspiring weird and wonderful cosmic afrocentric afrofuturistic mm you know, outfits from before, for, 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 you know, I was doing that at a time when it was very, very rare. So what happened is, you know, I just feel like, yeah, I mean, from sort of, you know, 2008 to like 2015, 16, we were just unstoppable. And then what you find is there's this beautiful moment of like, you know, 2012, 13, 14, and you get artists, amazing queens like Solange and, you know, Lizzo, and you start getting your Janelle Monet's coming through. And there's this wonderful, beautiful explosion of this renaissance of all of the things that I celebrated in my art, honestly and consistently from day one. Mm. But suddenly, the UK doesn't want to celebrate those vibes coming from me. They would rather groom and decide who it's going to be. So even if they've signed a singer that wants to be an R&B singer, they might, you know, put like, you know, sometimes what they might do is style that singer and develop them on other artists that have been successful you know, we don't need to say anymore, right? And so, yeah, uh, they want to have a bit of ownership in that part of the story, whereas they couldn't do they control. couldn't do that with you because 
you'd already define that for yourself. And I would also say, well, I was thinking when you're talking, it's, it's the artistry and the visuals, but it's also the artistry in your music. I think one of the things that I found interesting when you're talking about being categorized and people essentially saying, you know, we're, we're actually, we're done on our quota for brown girls. is like... <laughs> Because I, your music has always, I'm too bold, I find it, like I love, really want to hear about your creative process behind that and who you decided to work with and how you decided to, because your music's always been quite genre-defying, like there's elements mm-hmm. of rock and roll in there, there's element like there's so, there's just a fusion of so many different things and, you know, like I want to know instru- like what instruments you worked with, what you brought in when you worked on Too Bold, how you decided that, because it really is music but influenced by so many different things, which is why I find it, yeah, it's interesting that you still suffer that. Which box are we going to, where are we going to put Shingy in? Like if she's, if we've spoken to this person, there's not space for that. Yeah, I, I actually found it. Yeah, so that's a, that's a really beautiful, thank you for so much for saying that. Like, I really appreciate it. It means a lot. It's actually, it's making me sink into my feelings <laughs> a bit because, you know, again, I just, I literally have to start from scratch. I mean, there's probably... You know, maybe there was a bit of advice here and there, which I'm very, very grateful for. But I'm really grateful for, you know, the just the creative community of female musicians. I have to give it up to the leaps and bounds that, you know, a lot of female musicians have been making, you know, over the last decade or so. And the ones that are coming through who have managed to um, appreciate just how important that self-authorship is, that self... I won't even say self-ownership because, you know, spiritually I believe that there's more you know at play and that you know we are all connected to something greater and higher and just beautifully incredibly wonderful right but um if that's not your belief then I would just say yeah there's definitely something um something really amazing that is happening and I I just kind of remember thinking that you know, with all those sort of rejection emails or, or whatever it was, you know, um, oh, we can't, I just, again, I just revert back to whenever I'm in, I'm in a position of like, I don't know, I can't figure something out, I go back to that creativity. How do I adapt to this? You know, and and, and if somebody says, oh, we don't, we're, you know, we're not signing, signing um, an artist from this genre, I just don't try to make music that is in a genre. I try to, I endeavour and just make the music that I am, the sounds, the rhythms that attract me, you know. There's just so many things that that have inspired me in the run-up to Too Bold. But essentially, if you wanted to know about the creative process and the journey, I'd say arguably Too Bold has probably been kicking since day one, I, I feel like that's, you know, if I imagine, of, you know, this is this is album number four for me. And for me, I, I definitely feel like it's my brave, it's like my bravest um, record so far. I'm extremely proud of every Noisette's record and every collaboration I've done outside it, you know, um, known or unknown. But yeah, I just felt like there was there were just certain rhythms and melodies that came back to me from childhood. I grew up with this like juxtaposition of stories at home, proud, you're the daughter of this, you're the son of that, you know, like really, really warm, hardworking, like excruciatingly, two fingers to the bone, hardworking, hard dancing, hard smiling, hard hugging, hard loving, flamboyant, headscarves, all the things, you know, and hard encouraging you to, you know, to, to get to know and to mix and blend and interact with your community, but remember who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I grew up with those. And so musically, 
that's I think that's already kind of is already a part of my process that was already done you know I think a lot of people come into music now at different stages of their lives not a lot of people get access to not just music lessons but like I said which is what I was trying to say to my posh school that didn't think I was could do you know being culturally do music I had experience of hanging out with musicians every weekend with my family when they had gigs and they like I, I didn't finish the story from earlier but if they went out for for dinner like if the Bundu boys were taken out for dinner because they just did a tour with Madonna, which they did. They played when Wembley Stadium, you know, with Madonna. And again, that's thanks to maverick visionaries like John Peels. Like it's they're very, they're it's very, very rare people like that right now. Like he he was the way that people talk about genres in radio, you know, especially at mainstream egalitarian radio, it's quite crazy considering that a lot of their trust and public confidence was built off the work of people like John Peel, who championed all music from all ages, all genres, all cultures. Like he could, only he could, you know, do a a DJ set on the radio at the crack of dawn or in the middle of the night that everybody would tune to because you could hear Bunda Boys and then you could hear Madonna if you wanted to play her. And then you could hear, you know, Talking Heads and Tina Weymouth like mashing it up on the bass. Then you could hear, hear Paul Simon and then he would go, but here's where this is from. And you'd hear like, you know, then he would give you Lady Smith, Black Man Buzzo or the Mahatella Queen. Do you feel me? So like musical lineage is maybe the poetic justice that I'm seeking subconsciously when I make music. That poetic justice I seek is that almost like, you know, there's been so much omission. And that's what I meant about in terms of like, when I look back at little Shing and how she used to call herself silly and shrink back in the class and shrink herself and hide and all this kind of stuff. You know, that omission sometimes is more dangerous than someone lying, you know, about popular culture and saying that the story of popular culture is just about the Beatles and saying that popular culture is just about, you know, let's say four or five, or like less than 10 white males. That's like, that's next levels as well. You know what I'm saying? Like that what those very people do their best to celebrate where they get their inspiration from. You know, I've met Paul McCartney. He's an absolute, absolute freaking sweetheart. He was like, yeah, you know, here, take the bass, you know. And <laughs> you can I keep about, it? He was like, <laughs> no, and, and we ended up jamming, we ended up making music and And then afterwards, he was like, oh, you know, you've got something really beautiful. It's so pure. It's so raw, your musical energy. You know, you remind me of, like, Sister Rosetta Tharp. And I was like, oh, "Oh, God. I was like, we had a song called Mr. Rosetta Tharp, you know? And he was like, yeah. Just a sort of uh, practical or technical question. How long were you playing guitar or and do you play guitar as well as bass and how long were you playing that before the noise was formed and you started kind of performing with it so before noise like me and dan actually had quite a few bands together oh, really? <laughs> mm, yeah all with really terrible awful names um thanks to yours truly <laughs> and um and so yeah we we he was yeah he is a he's still he's a massive inspiration mm on me like literally he's like a big brother to me you know and like I said there are so many so many elements you know within the um within the kind of management what can I say there are so many elements in terms of the what's the word I'm looking for like the atmosphere of the band when you're not doing music you know like your setup your format your label there's so many people involved and you know and over the last you know 10 11 years 
we had so many people involved that, you know, sometimes we didn't really get the chance to be able to just be those best friends that used to listen to records all the time you know sometimes management companies or you know financial advisors or you know partners you know we've all had we both had our fair share of people coming in and out and sort of going oh yeah well she wants to make this and you know oh we we don't want the you know the drummer and the guitar but you know there's so many amazing dynamics that happen within the band but musically because he's such an incredible multi-instrumentalist like he plays so many different instruments piano keys synths guitar vocals so I was actually really inspired by him but I had had a guitar I think for just for about a year maximum before I met him maybe yeah maybe six months to a year I had guitar um and then he really really inspired me and and that's really beautiful you and I have done a few bands before the Noise Outs was formed. Was there a kind of moment where you felt like you, you'd achieved what you wanted to achieve with the Noise Outs or where you decided you wanted to do your own project? Or what was that process like? Um, well, the process was really, I felt, really um, held and supported creatively by that process because it was gradual. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I said, like, because I was so lucky to have met Dan, like, you know, when I was, I don't know, I was probably like 16, he was probably like 18 or something. Yeah. Um, 18, 19 or something. So um, yeah, I was so I was so blessed by having that friendship mm. from like basically we're the kind of people who like will not accept like a dry like if, if he goes and if he goes and does a guitar solo and like he comes out and he knows like he could have gone in but he kind of like do you know what I mean like maybe just lovely, kept it safe. safe yeah yeah and sometimes that sometimes you need that right sometimes you need you want to keep it suave as long as that's what you're aiming for but if you're aiming for this and you come back and you've got that look on your face like shall I do enough take guys we both know when we've still got the the take the take in us and we'll be like do you know what babes that takes really great Babes, oh my god, Don Jess, I'll wear it because we've got so many different nicknames. Which I'll be like, oh my god, that take is amazing. But should we just should we just park that take? We'll come back to it later. Mm-hmm. And just just do another one for fun. Just don't even think about it. Or just, you know what? Let's go to the parable. Let's um put the kettle on or let's take a break and maybe just do one where you're just not thinking about it too much. <laughs> you know, so because I just I'm so blessed to have that history of like making music with amazing musicians. And also amazing producers, but there was always something, I think, missing for me in the sense that I felt like often when I walked into creative, you know, um, scenarios, yeah. unless it was like maybe with the actual musicians themselves, like there was a band called Solarfly that Dan and I had before, which was really cosmic, amazing band. It's almost like, you know, that was almost like the prototype really for, for Noisettes. Um, the blueprint, if you like, that was like Lil Shing, kind of 16, 17, that kind of thing. Like even wilder than aspects of the Noisettes, arguably. So because I had experiences like that, I had the confidence and I had the musical versatility and I already had a bit of experience because I was busking from when I was like 15, 16. Like I was not going to wait to be trying to do that retail job when I've got spiky hair with bits of metal in it and I'm like listening to Hendrix really loud from my headphones or like listening to Public Enemy or like listening to Erica Badu blasting through my, my little speaker on the basket on the front of my bike while I'm 
riding around South London. Once we really got into like the business of making records, you know, like the music industry, like mm. we got this band, the Noisettes, you know, we were like signed to Motown. It was like so amazing. And, you know, we do all these like amazing like studio sessions and writing sessions. You want to work with this guy? Yeah, we're going to put you in the studio. We're going to put you in the plant, honey. You're going to love it there. It's up in, it's up in Sausalito by the hills. It's really fresh. I mean, you know, you know, Sly and Stone, they lived there for 10 years. It's got all the, the energies there. You know, you can do all your cosmic vocal stuff up there. Oh, no, we're going to take you to Sound City. Nirvana was there. So, you know, I know you're going to get your freak on or whatever. So, like, literally making the first album was an absolute dream. But what I found was that, like, there were so many writing sessions across the three albums that were quite negated by by record companies. And so, you know, when you're the artist, when you're, like, a female especially, now, obviously, things are definitely a lot more... Things that things are a lot more evolved, shall I say, in terms of you know how women are made to feel in the writing process, right, and in the creative process. For a lot of a lot of women who are creative might relate to this. You know, you kind of you go into a room and it's like full of you know really really lovely, incredibly talented white guys. You know, between you know twenty five and you know fifty five, sixty five, or whatever, and so. You know, you're kind of, you're, you're there with them for maybe the whole day. Sometimes you're there with them for a two or three day session, you know. And on your way there, you've got butterflies. You're getting the tube, you're getting the bus. You're running late because, you know, you're helping the old lady cross the road. And then she turns out to be from some island in the Caribbean somewhere or somewhere in Africa or knows your auntie. or And then you end up going, oh, you feel so bad. Let me just walk you home with your groceries because this story is so juicy. And then you get there and you're an hour late, but you're like, oh... But I'm really, really glad that, you know, I helped Auntie with her bags and I got a great story. And then when you when you've met, you know, when you've left Auntie and or whoever it is, whatever it was that made you late, there's always some kind of story because I used to just get this burning, you know, kind of um, and I still get it sometimes if I'm gonna do a, a fresh session with people that I don't know. And this is what I wanted to not have on too bold. You know, this kind of you get the butterflies in your tummy. What, you know, when am I going to be able to play play them the riff that I had the idea for? I've got an idea. I've got my book. I've got my notebook of songs. Mm. You know, should I should I bring it? Should I bring it with me? Um, you know, when is the right moment going to be? You know, you're literally like almost petrified, but on the outside because of you know that that kind of slightly you know destructive code switching black girl magic, whatever you want to call mm. it. On the outside, you're like yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, let's try that. Yeah, so we were thinking, yeah, let's do something. Uh, yeah, I'm, th- I'm, th- I'm thinking bluesy, guys. What do you reckon? You know, oh, no, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe sort of sexy. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, you know, you're seeing someone right now, and, you know, you you know, you start with the conversation, you're like, yeah, no, we were on tour, but we, what, we, bro- we broke up. Oh, so so what, what's that feel like? Okay, and then suddenly you're sort of writing songs. You're kind of almost, you have to be, willing almost to be mined for your emotions mm. as in like a mine you know like, like mining mm-hmm. so you kind of you have to be prepared to be emotionally and spiritually arguably mined and creatively mined but also you're already someone that they're maybe not used to making music with someone like you very often mm. do you feel me right yeah. so you're in, yeah you're in there and it's like you feel so so um lucky to be there oh my god I'm working with like 
you know, I don't know what the David Copperfield or whatever it is of, of producers is today, you know, and the yeah. people's paying for the studio and, you know, there's so much pressure and we're going to make a hit and we have to make a hit. But really, you just want to plug in saying, excuse mm. my French. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just need to get off your chest how you're feeling. Maybe, I'm sorry, I'm a little late. You know the stripes on it. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. some of those things will come out because sometimes they're without meaning to they almost kind of feel like they want to they want to be such a part of what you create and what you all write but then you can't force you the can't drill force the honesty and also particularly because you're quite a spiritual person I think it's like you're feeling something that's like authentically in and around you probably better to have freedom to do that but so yeah. all of these kind of structured setups, yeah. actually, like with the best intentions, don't create that freedom. Yeah, the freedom is important. But I think sometimes the most basic thing to remember is to create that, to create that safe, comfortable space mm. where, do you know what, like, you know, I'm not going to be made to feel weird if I want to take my shoes. Like, that's what I'm saying. Things are getting better. Mm. But that's like, sometimes you want to take your shoes off or you don't want to feel like you have to turn up with makeup because... You sing with makeup you is different to sing without yes. makeup you because then you're kind of like singing more from little shin you're singing about how little shin feels in that day because you're not with your armor of of makeup to cap to cover your yeah. wonderful emotional battle scars that day yeah. and maybe you don't even want to go too deep into singing about the battle scars that day sometimes you just want to have a jam but then they're like you know um you're looking at the guitar and then obviously they're always the first one to pick it up like how come they always know when you want to pick up the when you want to like walk towards the scene then you're like oh wow that's really really cool and this is what the guy producers do like yeah yeah man that's obviously yes 80 like 9,000 and then they like literally all of them start having the most amazing jam and the most amazing time they're like yeah man listen to the oscillators and you're just like yeah sounds so cool yeah yeah I love it oh my god and then like it's an hour later and you're still sort of sat there and like okay you know that you know you were late and you were really nervous about if you were going to feel safe enough to be your authentic weird and wonderful soulful self in that in that music session but then it's like they start making the music they start putting down riffs and you're like, oh shit, okay, I'm never going to be able to tell them, okay, we just go, oh, oh, no, but I've, oh wait, I've got a new, I've got a poem that might go, oh no, oh no, that was shit, that was written when I was a bit pissed, okay, and I'll skip that. Um, or maybe I'll go, maybe should I want to try, no, they're probably going to judge me if I want to, you know, if I want to get a little, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. the, the inner monologue is spiralling out of control and the guys are having the time of their life. They're like, you know, it's like, you know, they're going from, you know, prog rock into grime because they already know they're working with Shindy, so they know that they've got to keep it interesting and versatile. Yeah. But there's just those male-female dynamics kicking, right? Yeah. Where, like, they forget that you play an instrument or that you might like to have a little play on the synth or that you might like to... And that's something that, you know, Dan was always amazing. They're amazing. literally performing at you, being like, yeah, you love this. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, 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 then, and then check it. And then it's like, so, you know, you've got a top line to go on top of this. You know, what kind of melodies are coming to mind? And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's it, baby. Yeah, let's get bluesy. Let's get, let's get black. Get me that vocal, like... I'm just like so sorry next I'm just like so many basically so many like micro missions or like there was so many I think I just had about 10 years worth Mm. of like so many um creative moments where I just didn't feel safe enough to fully express 
Obviously, yeah. with Dan, like I said, it was different because, you know, what would sometimes end up happening at the end of a noise X writing session is, you know, we would have that jam or maybe with writing sessions for other artists, you know, they can be a bit more specific. They want this sound or they even want to sound like a certain artist. And so I don't do those kind of sessions anymore because I don't believe in advocating emulation. Um, I never felt like I had to compromise ever writing songs with Dan. But whenever it was him and I, that went outside into bigger sessions, the dynamics were, were really, really tricky to navigate. You know, like he had to, you know, he had to do some a lot, a, a lot of being the supportive big brother to me because he knew that, you know, was, you're going to be in a room full of blokes, Shing, and, you know, you're just going to have to speak up, woman. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Speak up, dear. You know, yeah. re- so I learned a lot from that. And then, you know, what 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 also was crucial with um with Dan and I's relationship in terms of our creative journey is that we always had a massive respect for our parents' record collections and our family's relationship with music. So I told you that my family's huge like music um, creative presence, but Dan's dad, Uncle Bill, actually uh, has played in some incredible bands and still um, plays music to this day. He plays harmonica, he sings, he's just absolutely incredibly beautiful soul and uncle bill in fact and um and so you know obviously i'm quite close to their family you know Mm -hmm. in my heart in our hearts we're very very close like they partially raised me and dan like my mom partially raised dan and you know you know dan had zimbabwe and aunties and jamaican jamaican uncles when he came round to mine you know so we used to really feed off each other's like you know we'd, we'd almost try to sort of outdo each other like who can find the weirdest record who can find the most rarest cut from this you know um you know this this I don't want to call them lost artists anymore. Let's call them omitted, the omitted yeah, ones, yeah, yeah. you know? We're going to call them the ones they try to omit. Mm. So Dan and I would be, you know, we, we, we were doing all that crate. I mean, now they call it crate digging or whatever when it's not, it's not quite, people don't have access, I think, to the same physical levels as thrifting as they maybe did. When I was a kid in the 90s, like you could actually physically go into like charity shops and find like hardcore gems. Like I used to skip raid. Like me and Dan's, you know, my first bass amp was, I found it in a skip outside Goldsmiths College, Goldsmiths University, because, you know, it was that that point in the sort of like, I don't know, late, late 90s, early 2000s, when everybody was making a really rapid decision and a really like unthought through decision of like throwing out a lot of their good Mm. audio s-h-i-t like they're throwing out the sound system speakers and replacing them from for these little you know crusty made in you know factory made stuff and you know the 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 the, the stuff that came from the more analog time of music was always made by hand often it was made with love and it was made to last like the cars like the music like the record like the legacy of many of those musicians that we discussed you know, when we first started the conversation, right, that that you can't emulate, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then how did you actually get from that time that you spent with the Noisettes to Too Bold? What was the journey? Yeah, when I think back to the cultural exchange that me and Dan, um, that me and Dan had, it's like, I'm so grateful to have had that. And so, you know, in terms of like, you know, how I got to Too Bold from Noisette. So in 2013, 
you know, the noisettes got to go to Haifa, which was widely unreported in the West, but it's fine because everybody knew about it in Africa. <laughs> that was all the count. That, yeah. that was all the matter at the time. So, um, yeah, we, we went to go and play this incredible festival called Haifa. And, you know, we played one of Thomas Mahomo's songs. So we had this beautiful, amazing house that we were renting with, like, a pool and, like, jacaranda trees. So we had this beautiful place. Mm. We, were ha- we had musicians coming in and out of the house, local musicians. So, like, Mbira players, which is a type of thumb piano that we play. It's a bit like the kalimba. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what the kalimba is, just Google kalimba song, Earth, Wind and Fire. So it sounds a little bit similar to that, but the resonance is a lot bassier and a lot deeper it's, it's a bit more enchanting I think I would say arguably because it, it can kind of put you in a trance actually if you listen to it too much we played the Shomba song and the crowd like literally went just went like beautifully crazy I was like climbing on the rafters like I think I had my bass and I was like it's amazing that that gig in Zim was a massive turning point for Noisettes I've done festivals in places like that when I'm like, oh my God, how come I'm like one of only like three or four brown people here? I'm like, I'm in an, like, you know, I'm at a festival in in Africa, you know, why is this not marketed to, you know, why isn't it marketed to people all over the world of different levels of income, right, of different backgrounds, because it's just dope music that's what's going on. Mm. Nothing else is going on. It's dope music and transformative experiences. Is there some agenda against people having dope music and transformative experiences that bring the collective closer closer together? You know, I don't know. You know, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah I'm, I'm not one to, yeah, I mean, I'm not it one to. It feels like that sometimes. Sometimes it can when you see the amount of resistance and pushback from the mainstream to mm. like wonderful subcultures that are like, you know, again, inspiring the people that get positioned in the mainstream media. And then what happens is all of the people that are inspiring on the ground, got the uh, like breathing the fire into the ting, are written out of stories. And then you get sprinkles of what was really cool about that from, you know, the artists on top who don't appear to then actually have much freedom in the end. Mm. or much creative happiness even I'd go as far as to say you know so um yeah so Malawi was amazing Zimbabwe was amazing and we did you know just we did stuff like that and and whenever we'd go to somewhere like you know whenever we go somewhere like we'd always get involved with the local musicians with the local artists we went to my grandmother's village that I had not been to since I was 10 years old If you're an artist who's had incredible commercial success, but you're starting again, but you're also a very unique and authentic artist, Mm. it's just a whole new roller coaster. So I'm actually really, really grateful that, um, you know, like, could Too Bold have come come out on any other label but Zimtron? We've got to ask ask ourselves that. Yeah. Well, you know, where all of the, all of the, I don't know, the name, you know, all of these lovely, well-meaning, you know, people that I'd worked with, your Jamies and your Quintons and your lovely, you know, Garrett's and were all these guys who I worked with before would, 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 you know, I might have signed to them and I might have made the label and then they might have been like, yeah, it's a bit too much. No pun intended. Mm. It's too bold. No pun intended. Yeah. It's, you know, imagine if that happened. I probably would have, I probably would have, that probably would have sent me onto a next level thing where maybe I would have thought, oh God, it's a pandemic. I spent two two years writing this album for this, you know, 
really cool boutique looking independent label that you know I thought was really 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 cool and I thought was like really genuinely spirit-led authentic and progressive Mm -hmm. and reflective of who the 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 game-changing points of culture and who they've been and just all that kind of stuff and I learned a lot that a lot of them aren't you know, a lot of them are, you know, just lovely guys who are just doing what they love. It's the, you know, it's it, it's a hobby that they manage to make incredibly successful. They're mm-hmm. they're crate diggers, they're music lovers, they're, you know, they're you know your guys that you've went, went to public school or grammar school with. I, you know, I've been out with guys like that. You know, so once you understand that and you don't take it personally, you go, do you know what? Maybe this album, if it is going to be really the best and you know the culmination of everything that I've learned mm. from you know arriving here on planet earth and everything that I've achieved in the last decade of yeah. making brave out there pop music from the heart then maybe that there's only one label that that come, can come out on maybe it has to be you babes like I know it's going to be dry I know there's going to be bare admin I know it's going to you know, present you with all these different truths and realities. That's what I was negotiating. Like Mm -hmm. every, every decision I made, I was like, okay, it has to make the band grow. It has to make the band big, has to make the band successful. Not just because I knew that I possessed the talent and the inherent, you know, creative wealth Mm -hmm. in terms of ancestry as well. To be there and deserve to be there and the study that it's taken. Like Mm -hmm. I've studied my things, like, I live for this. It's my craft. Like I respect it. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so what I kind of found is like we went down. I like I just there were just times where I was like, I think sometimes I I didn't make the right decision out of fear that oh any missed opportunity for the for the missed opportunity for the noisettes it's a missed opportunity from you know this kid from South London who I absolutely adore like my big brother who I met like yeah. he's got a dream as well. So I you know I can't be. You know, yeah. maybe I, I can't be too much like that, but maybe I can find my much. On stage is my office. You can never touch that ring. Like, I got, I guard that place. And it has to be a set a place of pure love, energy, joy, just conjuring all the feels, all the good vibes. But Dan doesn't know that. You know, Dan doesn't know. Like, we still haven't even had the time to sit down and go, hey, babes, what's the debrief? How is it for you? What was your relationship like with that manager at that time or this mm-hmm. manager or that? Do you remember that time, you know, when, you know, I was, you know, um, late for uh, rehearsal because, you know, the um, the record label put us all in this kind of, like, hotel room suite together, you know, on Sunset Boulevard because, you know, maybe we didn't have that, that budget then where, you know, I was allowed to have my own room even though I was a girl in a band. But I'm a black girl. Like, I've got heavy periods I've got endometriosis crippling me with pain but I'm gonna back that neurofin and get on stage like he does you know they don't know all of these things yeah I've never thought about the emotional responsibility that you have or that you would feel for bandmates as well and their success when you're really on that shared journey particularly Mm. when as you say you were so close and you went through so much together it's such a complicated thing because Mm. on the one hand you're going on the same journey but on the other hand as you say like your emotional experiences the way people respond to you as individuals exactly the specific it's different to the way they respond to him and it's different the way he responded to the drummer it's you know and and that's something that we've never really and that's another because you are made to feel like you do have to work times 10 times as harder as a black female up-and-coming artist and you're you're lucky to be there you know it's it's what they don't say it's the undertone just going in an office meeting you know and them going 
well, you know, we're not going to necessarily pay like for the billboard campaign outside Westfield, which could maybe, you know, maybe if enough people drive around that freaking roundabout at like Shepherd's Bush, you know, when they see that billboard, chances are most people, they click and collect it. Do you know what I mean? They buy the thing, they download the album. So, but what we can do is we can give, we can give you noisettes because, you know, Shingy's not exactly the girl next door with Shep. So we'll give you guys a lovely little billboard. It's in, it's just on the corner of like Brick Lane and Old Street. Really, really up and coming, really cool. You know, it's where all the cool cats are. We'll, we'll give you a little billboard there, you know, for like a week. And then everyone and let's just else, see how it goes. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Because, you know, I mean, she's not exactly the girl. You know, this, this, you know, this is like the, you know, this is like the mystery. I felt like I was like, you know, that um, Black Beauty, that horse. You know, like the the stallion that was like a bit of the wild card. You know, the office. Bear. Wow, she's kind of amazing, but don't yeah. know. But let's sign her so that no one else can have her. So she's not like a threat or any competition yeah. to our, any of our other artists. Can I ask? We haven't spoken about it too much, but your voice to me is very special and very distinctive. Do you feel that? And do you hear that a lot? Do a lot of people? comment when you're in interviews or in conversations to say I, I I know it's you when you sing not that that's a, yeah. a rare thing with a with a big artist but like your voice is very distinctive I think and very special do you feel that and do you have you always felt that or did you kind of teach yourself to sing or what's what's that relationship like with you and your voice that's like such a beautiful question. That's a oh, really nice you. question. That's that you know that's that's the kind of questions you want to be asked because it actually makes you genuinely think where does my voice come from? So I think, yeah, it's something that for me, like your voice, it's like, I don't know, they say like, you know, your voice doesn't just come from here. Your voice comes from like your spirit. Your tone of your voice comes from maybe people in your family, experiences, people you went to school with, people you grew up with. You know, it can be in informed by the lingo, by the books you read, by the cartoons. You know, like for example, there was something that really intrigued me recently, how I noticed a lot of my friends who are like having young kids, like little kids, they're, they're beginning to talk with these sort of, there's a bit of these American accents coming in. You know, like I've got a really beautiful friend's son. I'm not going to say his name. He's like, yeah, cool. Oh, my God. Love you. Yeah. yeah." And and I feel like they are beginning to speak in the way that they are kind of marketed to with a lot of the American cartoons and the content that they digest. Because now a lot of, you know, parenting is so layered and, you know, the challenges of parenthood are what they are right now. So some people just, at some point, they need to just, give them a to give them a tablet give them a phone like and they're one or they're one and a half or they're two so they haven't even had the chance to develop their own voice and they're already emulating the voice of you know what that's why I said culture is so important they're already emulating the voices and the accents of the cute really you know lovely boys and girls that they see in cartoon characters or animals that they see in cartoon characters you know coming from other places and you know I really feel like the the the, the voice is more than just something that is reduced to a tool to communicate to get what you want you know, the voice is not just about that. It's not just about how do I ask for this? How do I demand this? So I use this tone. It can be an instrument. And I think because I grew up around so many different characters and like larger than life characters, like not, 
you know, not like now, I feel like sometimes people are really trying to, in urban areas, people are trying to create these homogenized ways of speaking, you know, because it's really hard to figure out what unites us and what the common ground is now, because everyone's an individual on social media and they're not meeting up out and about in person, right? We're not, you know, the, the, the tribes of counterculture are really, really on the brink of extinction right now, but they're coming back. They're coming back. So, so what you find is that, you know, people are starting to develop these homogenous ways of, like, communicating that are kind of based on people that they like or influences they, that they like or, as you are a kid, cartoons that they like. But for me, I was always attracted to unique voices because I grew up with characters that were larger than life. And also I grew up with characters who, even using their own voice in its authentic tone, could be weaponized against them. You know, if you were if you were living in like, you know, kind of colonial countries in, in Southern Africa, just you had to small your voice. They, they, you know, a lot of them would have to small their small voice. That's what I think that's what they say in Nigeria. They had to small their voice. I have nothing but praises to sing of the power of our voices, which is so untapped right now. And I would arguably say, especially in music, mm. people don't feel sorry not all people there is a lot of incredible breakthroughs and there's a lot of amazing people that are coming through and embracing you know aspects of of, of their tone that weren't maybe considered as you know sexy or ladylike or girly or hot before but there's also a lot of kind of conveyable pumped out almost identical voices which are emulating a certain type of voice which is often usually very vulnerable it's very kind of it's like a vulnerable but it's sexy it's like just yeah I, I can't even I can't even put it on but I'm just detecting there's a lot of voices that are coming through in these beautiful new females that are coming through which feels like you know there's and I think it's important to embrace the vulnerability and the capabilities of the female voice but what we all often also don't embrace about the capabilities of the female voice and especially the black female voice is our spectrum of tone mm -hmm. and by spectrum of tone I don't mean octaves in the operatic sense I mean the texture you know like if something's mm -hmm. pillowy if something's velvety like and how that makes you feel when someone sings a certain note from a certain place is it coming from their chest uh, 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 uh. you know is it where is it is it coming from a place of heartbreak like freaking heart broken do you know what I mean like yeah. why does every heartbreak song have to sound so sexy is that really what heartbreak is now yeah. do you know what I mean like yes. I never I never heard any heartbreak sound maybe maybe going and get your heart broken you know maybe yeah. something else broken <laughs> you know I'm just like yeah I just feel there's a lot of there's still a lot more exploration and fun that we that can be done with women, have, especially having their voices. And I don't want to do reverse sexism, but I say women just because the men have had so much fun and so much mm. mainstream positioning. Shingy, I could literally talk to you forever. Basically, I want to keep in as much as possible of what we've covered because so much of it is so beautiful. And I do want to do the little uh, marketing thing of just... Too Bold is obviously already out now on all streaming platforms. Where, other than kind of listening on normal platforms, 
do you have favorite social channels or spaces that people should kind of engage with you where can they find you online (laughs) yeah at the moment i'm just i'm doing a lot of stuff on insta so s-h-i-n-g-a-i sierra hotel indigo november golf alpha indigo wow (laughs) because babe myself on the girl loves me a bit that cabbie alphabet i love it just what I'm saying, like, that's why I just value my voice because I grew up with like certified, like I said, larger than life characters, like the, 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 the cabbies, like, you know, the Indian aunties, the Irish aunties, the Jamaican aunties, the Cockney auntie, like bumping into like Little Mo in East Street Market and nearly, nearly fainting because I was, I was so in awe. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And I, I just really respect people who, who are, you know, allowing themselves to authentically embrace their culture and who they are and know how to harmonize it with, with, with others. It's not, maybe it isn't actually that deep, you know? So socially I'm doing a lot of the campaign for Too Bold on Instagram, which I just spelled out. I'm just supporting a spectrum of people from from the international community from around the world mm. who are just doing really brave and wonderful things even like in the most smallest random acts mm. right so um yeah so you can find me on on, uh, on instagram on twitter the book of faces and also <laughs> <laughs> the book of makeup <laughs> makeups um yeah you can find me there after all that speaking about like marketing and reach and you know everyone's got to try and be authentic I've also authentically got to remember that it's important to tell people if you do have stuff come out and so yeah. I mentioned it's too bold but I forgot to mention the video so the video yeah. video drops on international women's week you know forgive me if there's a couple of days delayed you know. <laughs> don't hold me yeah there's a peak time there's a pandemic guys come on there's peak time there's a lot happening and sometimes you have to just read the room, read the week, you know, don't try and force people to action things because they're often working from home as well. Yeah. And they've got people running around and, you know, like, you know, don't try and be like, you know, this is going to come out on this day and if not, I'm going to phone and harass. I know, sometimes it's exhausting or, and you're like, okay, I can't, I've got to go to bed now. <laughs> Right? Yeah, so it's going to yeah. come out that week. The video is going to come out that week. And it's probably, yeah, the, the, the video that I'm most proud of today. It's uh-huh. an incredible collaboration with a director called Sheila Norton, who is Ghana, UK. She's doing amazing things right now. I definitely would watch out for her. And, um, yeah, we shot it in South, in South London, in Crystal Palace. It's just something that I'm really, really excited to, excited to unveil to you. Also, because, you know, I said to you earlier when I conversation that you know I didn't grow up I never grew up I didn't see a video where there was like I think it wasn't until like maybe like was it late 90s early was, I don't know when this whole brick but I feel like I was still do you know what I mean I was still probably in like year seven or year yeah. eight or something when that whole thing but I never I never seen girls in bands much until that point unless you know like I said unless it was like an uncle or someone playing me you know an, a, a Nina Simone record she had an instrument beautiful unless it was like you know someone playing me Joni Mitchell wow that's inspiring like I said jo, you know John I'm a training Tracy Chapman you know but it was so rare to see groups of female musicians together you know where it was like it was always a new you know lovely collaboration with 
Mick Jagger and Mick Jones and Mick, you know, all these lovely, you know, the, the boys club, right? They would yeah. always do their collaborations and it'd be like, you know, Lionel Richie doing a collaboration with, I don't know, like David Bowie. Like they, they always got to have that fun, like I said, right? They got to have that experimenting. And so we didn't, I didn't see enough of that. So for the two vol video, I've got about 15 of some of the most incredible female musicians on the planet right now who are have actually done a remix we all did a remix together of the song too bold and in the video is also featuring women from no less than i think four or five bands and so the power that sounds the inspiration you know like what would it look like i said she you know what would it look like to just have a video where you've got like the massive you know kind of crystal palace you know um these these amazing palatial steps that they have in the park imagine if all those steps had like you know like maybe like 10 female musicians one with her drum kit there on on the on the left you got Faye from Savages, do you know what I mean? With her drum kit, you know, 180db, amazing, you know, Extinction Rebellion, she's killing the game. Like, you've got, you know, the girls from the Tuts killing the ting. You've got Big Joni killing the ting. You've got Jenny Cleaver, mixed it, mastered by one of the mastering engineers at Strongman, where you've got people like, you know, just amazing people. So I wanted to show people, it doesn't look that scary. It doesn't look that... You know, it's maybe it's revolutionary. It's, it's fun actually, it's as actually, much as anything fun. else. Yeah. It's fun, you know. It's just great. And so, literally, I I, I finally got the um, got to watch it, like the final version, because we're about to sort of submit and stuff this week. And I was just like, I just cried, like I just cried, because I was like, wow. All you need to do is just be brave enough to invite people and make them feel like they are heard too. It's like, you know, you've got Nova Twins. They've got their podcast, Voices of the Unheard. And that's kind of what it felt like I was doing, bringing together a lot of voices and just amazing musicians, female musicians who do different things, not just singers. We don't just sing, we do other stuff as well. Not like there's anything just, like there's no such thing as just singing. Yeah, yeah. The vocal of the instrument that this is, is is incredible. But so, yeah, I really wanted to mention that one before I go, just because I'm really, really proud of it and because it's the hot, it's the hot girl podcast. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm so um, glad you did. That's my tribute. That's my gift. That's my, um, I don't know, that's just like my, yeah, that's my, my, my offering to, you know, all female musicians and allies of musicians and artists that, that identify as female, right? So that is, my, that is for you guys, you know, like you, uh, maybe after that, I won't, we won't have to do so many interviews and podcasts like this because maybe the next generation of, you know, up and coming journalists will, will look at that video and they'll get a better sense of what we're doing, who we are, you know, because we've made something that's not me doing whatever I'm expected to do in the video. I'm like, no, let's use this space to like put all of our, the 100% that we all give individually. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's 1,500%. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted to leave you with that. Check it out. <laughs> it sounds so magical. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm so glad, I'm yeah. so, so glad we could get you on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Have a magical day and week. Thanks for having me. Thank you and, so much. Um, shout out to everybody that you big up. Shout out to yourselves for doing this. I hopefully can't wait to meet you in person. I know. <laughs> that would be <laughs> See you at the show, right? See you at the gig. What up, Lex?
surprise, good women were destined to rise. Yeah. Inspiring, celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some yeah. hot girls, you know the vibe. Yeah. All the hot girls come alive. All Some hot girls, you know the vibe. All my hot girls come alive. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.